21, verse 1 through 16. And when we had departed from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who were prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. In coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we seized and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. At 4 p.m. on the 16th of April, 1521, he stood before the people who could take his life. Martin Luther had been summoned to appear before Charles V and lords uh, of the day because he had discovered the news, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they didn't like it. And so the king, or the, at least the Holy Roman Emperor, asked Luther if he would recant his preaching and recant his books. But Luther asked for the night in prayer before he would give his answer. And he tells us, Luther tells us what he prayed. This is what he prayed that night. He said, quote, how frail and sensitive is the flesh of men and the devil so powerful and active through his apostles and the wise of the world. Oh, thou my God, my God, help me against the reason and wisdom of all the world. Do this. You must do it. You alone. For this cause is not mine, but thine. For myself, I have no business here with these great lords of the world. Indeed, I too desire to enjoy days of peace and quiet and to be undisturbed. But thine, O Lord, is this cause. 
and it is righteous and of eternal importance. Stand by me, O faithful eternal God. I rely on no man, O God. Stand by me in the name of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, who shall be my protector and defender, yea, my mighty fortress, through the might and strengthening of thy Holy Spirit. That is the prayer of a man facing a fiery trial. Luther faced his, and you will face yours if you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We continue our series in the book of Acts this morning, and the point for us is this. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Do not be despised at the fiery trial. Remember, the Apostle Paul has been seeking to get to Jerusalem. He had a financial gift that he wanted to give to the impoverished church there. And speaking of Jerusalem, he told the Ephesian elders in the last passage that we looked at last week, imprisonment and afflictions await me there. Why? Because if you follow Jesus Christ, you will be treated like Jesus Christ. It will not be a bed of roses. I said this a few weeks ago that we're called to be light in a world that loves darkness. We are called to be salt, to preserve what is good in a world that calls good evil and evil good. We're called to self-denial in a world that worships self-fulfillment. We're called to be sheep in the midst of wolves. We're called to follow a crucified king as we carry our cross to our place of crucifixion. And it's why the Apostle Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Fiery trials are par for the course. Just ask Jeremiah. Just ask John the Baptist. Just ask the Apostle Paul or the crucified king whom they all worshipped. But before we come to our passage today, I do want to reassure you all that there will be great comfort and assurance in this message as well. There's not only hard news, but there is also reassuring news as well, that against the dark backdrop of Paul's fiery trial that he anticipated, is a shining diamond of hope and encouragement. And if you will follow this message today, then I am deeply confident that you will have reassurance and hope as well. And I want to say that here right at the outset because I know where some of you are. And I know that for many of you, the idea of a fiery trial is much more than an idea, but a present reality. And it might not be the same kind of fiery trial that the Apostle Paul anticipated as he set his sights to Jerusalem, but it's a fiery trial because it hurts. It's a fiery trial because if you could, you would decide to press the eject button and get out of it. But friends, we serve a sovereign God 
who has comfort in abundant supply, even in the midst of life's darkest and most fiery trials. And so follow me today in this message as we see, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. The first thing we see today is this. We see a plea to avoid the fiery trial. A plea to avoid the fiery trial. Look again at verses 1 to 6. It says, And when we had parted from them, them being the Ephesian elders, and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all with wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. Now, when Grace read those verses earlier in our service, my guess is there were no alarm bells sounding in your mind. There were no red flags being waved in your mind. But if Grace had read today's verses with the verses that we read last week, then some of us would have been very concerned. Why? Why is that true? Because in last week's passage, Paul said to the Ephesian elders, and now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Spirit testifies to me in every, pla- in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. This week, though, we're told that the believers in Tyre were telling Paul, quote, through the Spirit, not to go to Jerusalem. So last week, The Spirit was constraining Paul to go to Jerusalem. This week, the believers were telling Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. Had the Holy Spirit changed his mind? Uh, Was the Holy Spirit wrong to have constrained Paul to go to Jerusalem? Well, no, here's the answer. The Holy Spirit had revealed to the disciples in Tyre exactly what he had revealed to Paul, namely that imprisonment and afflictions awaited him in Jerusalem. But their faulty assumption was the Spirit had revealed that to them to prevent Paul from going. And that's where they were wrong. The Holy Spirit had revealed it to them that yes, Beatings and afflictions and imprisonment awaits Paul in Jerusalem. But their false assumption was that the Holy Spirit had revealed that to them to stop Paul from going. But why would they have assumed that? Well, they would have assumed that because they were surprised at the fiery trial. To them, it seemed impossible that God would be leading the great apostle to the Gentiles into hardship and into danger. Surely, in their mind, that could not have been God's will. 
But with all the love and respect in the world to these disciples in Tyre, what kind of naivety is that? A servant is not greater than his master, Jesus said. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Persecution is not proof that you are outside of the will of God. Persecution is sometimes proof that you are inside the will of God. Seriously, if life got harder for you, not easier for you when you be a, became a Christian, it might not be because you're doing something wrong. It might be because you're doing something right. Now, we can understand, can't we, why these disciples didn't want Paul to go to Jerusalem. They loved Paul. They, they, they didn't want to see him in prison. They didn't want to see him afflicted. And we can understand that. I came very, very close once, not so long ago, uh, to visiting the most dangerous country in the world to be a Christian. If I'd been caught with a Bible, if I'd been caught praying, I would have been tortured to death. And if I were planning that trip now, and you saw that on the Tuesday night prayer sheet, my hope is that some of you would be a little bit concerned. I think others of you would be praying for traveling mercies for me to get there safely. But, but very often, the path we least want to tread is the path that God has for us. But what we need to understand is that hardship experienced because of our service to Christ is a privilege. It is a privilege. Why? Listen again to what the Apostle Peter has to say. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Rejoice, Peter says, in the fact that when people treat you the way they treated Jesus, it's because you remind them of Jesus. And that's glorious, isn't it? Like if you're being mistreated at work at the moment, if you're being mistreated at home at the moment, if you're being mistreated at school at the moment because of your love for Jesus and because of your witness for Jesus, rejoice in the fact that you smell and sound a great deal like Jesus himself. You see, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but Jesus chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Please don't congratulate yourself if you're here today because you're just a jerk for Jesus. Like if you're a, a troll online, get off Facebook, cut up your internet cable with a pair of scissors. But if your gospel is the aroma of death unto death to some, it is because you are sharing the right gospel and the true gospel. If you're sharing Christ's sufferings, it is because you have a share in Christ. You've probably all heard about what happened to Isabel Vaughan Spruce. She was praying silently outside of uh, an abortion clinic 
And the reason she was doing that is because some very close friends of hers had abortions and were so traumatized that they are really scarred and affected for, uh, for life. And so out of great concern for, for women, she was praying against that decision and she was arrested. She sought to champion life and she was treated like the author of life. So friends, do friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he will take and shield you. You will find a solace there. And why is that true? It's true because he's been where you are. He has stood in the fiery trial. And the temperature was far hotter for him than it is for you. And so he can understand. And he can sympathize. And he can empathize because he has been where you are. Do not be surprised by the fiery trial. We've seen number one, a plea to avoid the fiery trial. But second, I want us to see an enactment of the fiery trial. An enactment of the fiery trial. Look at verses 7 to 12. It says, when we have finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais. And we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist who was one of the seven, and that is one of the seven uh, deacons from the Jerusalem church, and stayed with him. Verse 9, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And so evidently, the Holy Spirit had revealed to Agabus just what he'd revealed to the disciples in Tyre, only with greater detail and with high-definition clarity and his plea was identical to theirs don't go don't go to Jerusalem as Agabus took Paul's belt which would have been much more of a a longer cloth-like thing back then less like ours today he bound Paul with it and said thus says the Holy Spirit this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles so Paul Don't go to Jerusalem. But that wasn't why, again, the Holy Spirit had revealed that to Agabus. In fact, just the opposite was true. It was the Holy Spirit who was constraining Paul to go to Jerusalem and to go to the fiery trial and to embrace the fiery trial that they so wanted him to avoid. Now, under the last heading, we were we were comforted by Peter's words when he said, rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. But then he says this, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Recognize, Peter is saying, 
that the joy of sharing Christ's sufferings now is a prelude, a taster to the joy that you'll experience then when Jesus is revealed. Do you, do you see that, friends? The joy of sharing in Christ's sufferings now is the bridge to the chorus in heaven. It's the starter before the main course. It is the stockings before the presence under the tree. And so there's our reason to stay. There's our reason to persevere. There's our reason to be immovable in the fiery trial. Why? Because it will all be worth it in the end. The joy of sharing Christ's sufferings now will be greater when Jesus' glory is revealed. If we bail now, we will bail on much then. But if we stay the course, then we'll have more joy than we know what to do with when Jesus is revealed on the last day. It's why the Apostle Paul wrote, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So let me help us to see this from the other side. Let's say that we spend our lives chickening out of sharing in Christ's suffering for the sake of the gospel. Let's say if we just spend our lives soaring off the sharp edges of the gospel, making excuses not to share the gospel, making excuses to make the gospel more palatable, and then Christ is revealed. Will there be joy on that day? Well, no, there'll be shame on that day, because if we were ashamed of Christ on earth, then we'll be ashamed when we stand before him in glory. But if we rejoice as we share his sufferings on earth, then we will rejoice when his glory is revealed. That's when we'll say, at last, oh Lord, Lord, I have sought to follow you and be faithful to you all these years. I've made a pig's ear of things, but you've forgiven me. You have empowered me. You have enabled me to be faithful to you by your grace. And then we'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your master. You see, if Paul had taken the advice of these believers here, he would have saved his bacon, but he would have lost his joy, both in the present and in the future. And when we encounter trials of various kinds and we draw near to Christ and we know his intimacy, we know his closeness then in a way we don't when life is easy. Friends, what we need to remember is this. The joy that we experience in those moments is only a prelude to the joy that is to come. That is a glorious encouragement for you today if you are going through a fiery trial. Do not lose sight of the last day.
there's a, there's a common piece of advice that pastors sometimes give to pastors. And the advice is this, don't resign on Monday. <laughs> and the reason they give that is because there is uh, a unique vulnerability that pastors often feel on Monday morning. They've, they've poured their souls out into the congregation. On a Monday morning, there is simply nothing left, like at all. And a few Mondays ago, there was so much emptiness in me, having poured myself into you, that I, truth be told, could not pray. I think I tried for about 20 minutes down on the floor in my study and could not get a single word out of my mouth. But then the week went on. And as I drew nearer and nearer to Christ, and as Christ drew nearer and nearer to me, come the next Sunday, there was a resilience, there was a joy, there was a resolve, there was a happiness in me that I haven't felt for a very long time. But the encouragement is that happiness and that joy was a mere shadow to what will be revealed on the last day. A flicker in comparison to the sun. An ice cube in comparison to the iceberg. And the same is true for you. In the fiery trials, there is a dim reflection of the joy that will be yours when Jesus is revealed. The joy we experience today is a prelude to the joy that we will experience then. So can I ask you, which fiery trials are you avoiding right now? Which Jerusalem are you seeking to back away from? Maybe you're a, you're a parent and you've got to bring God's word to bear on an incredibly sensitive subject in your home. And you know as you raise that with your children or perhaps as you raise that with your husband, World War III is going to break out. Or maybe you've got to tell friends that you can't in good conscience go to the places that you've been with them in the past because it just pours ice on the fire of your love for Jesus. And they're not going to understand what in the world you're talking about. And you're going to look like an absolute weirdo. Or you might have to admit that there's been sin in a relationship with a loved one. And you know that if you tell that person, they're going to be deeply wounded. But you have to do it because if you don't do it, the relationship's just going to be a mere facade. Or you might have to tell your boss that you can't in all good conscience do what he's asking you to do because it involves underhanded business practices. And you know it's dishonest. And you know he's going to say to you, there's no other option for you. If you won't do this, there's the door. And you're going to have to walk through the door. You might simply have to own the fact that you've become a Christian. And at this point in your life, you're going to look like a very strange person to people that have known you for a very, very long time. But friend, the joy that you will experience amid all of those difficulties, and the joy that you'll experience as Jesus draws nearer to you amid those difficulties, is a mere taster to the marriage supper of the Lamb that is to come and will be received by every true disciple of Jesus Christ. So friend, sail all the way to Jerusalem. Get to Jerusalem. Don't back away from it. 
and do all that God has called you to do and be all that God has called you to be and say all that God is calling you to say, even if a prophet of God seeks to hold you back and ties you up with your belt, make headway and do all that you've been asked to do. Well, lastly, we see an embrace of the fiery trial. Uh, Look at verse 13 with me. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Now, where did Paul's resolve come from? For I am ready, he said, not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That is a supernatural resolve. That can't be manipulated by the flesh. Where did it come from? Well, it came from the conviction that the course and the ministry that the Lord Jesus had given to him was better than anything else, including his safety and including his life. Do you remember, friends, in last week's passage, he said, but I do not uh, account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Why? If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. To Paul, that course... And that ministry was more valuable, more precious than anything else in his life, including his life itself. Now, we are not apostles. But if you're here today and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the course and the call in your life is exactly the same. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And the course that God has for you will look very different than the course that he had for Paul. The ministry that God has for you will look very different to the, to the ministry that he has for Paul. You will not be writing the book of 3 Corinthians anytime soon. If you do, give me a copy and I will burn it for you. But the end, the goal of our course, the goal of my course, the goal of your ministry, and the goal of my ministry is this testifying to the gospel of the grace of God, testifying to the good news of God's undeserved favor to guilty, hell-bound sinners in and through the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son himself. You might be called to do that as a mom or as a dad. You might be called to do that as a friend or as an employee. You might be called to do that to an unbeliever here today and they need to hear a word spoken in season to you at the end of this service. And friend, if you want to be faithful in that course, if you want to be faithful in that ministry, then the gospel of the grace of God in Christ Jesus has to be more precious to you than anything else in your 
life. Only then will you be faithful in your course. Only then will you be faithful in your ministry. The only way to be faithful to share and to testify the gospel of the grace of God is to have that gospel be more precious to you than life itself. The obvious question is, how? How does that happen? How can we grow in our love for the gospel of the grace of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ? And I have three recommendations for us as we prepare to close. The first recommendation is this. Remember your need for it. Remember your need for it. Remember that without God's undeserved favor to you in Jesus Christ, you are damned. You are condemned. You are hell-bound. Don't lose sight of that. And you know, the reality is losing sight of that in our world is easier than we might think. Why? Because we live in a sin-belittling world. And when sin is small, grace is small. When sin is no big deal, the gospel is no big deal. And we see it all the time, perhaps even in our lives. Maybe think back to a time you had to apologize to someone recently. You apologized to them. And, and, and what did they say? No, 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 no. It's fine. No, no. What, what if you apologize to someone and they looked you in the eye and said, I forgive you. There'd be something in you that would want to say, you, you forgive me. I, I don't really need your forgiveness. Maybe you wouldn't say that, but you'd be a little bit taken aback to hear, I forgive you. But again, when sin is no big deal, then the gospel will be no big deal. And we will abandon our cause to testify to the gospel of the grace of God as soon as life gets hard, because the fifth degree burns just won't be worth the gospel that we're seeking to endure for. But also, remember when you received it. Remember your need for it, but remember when you received it. Remember what it was like for you when you felt like your heart was beating for the very first time. Remember what it was like for you when it felt like your eyes were seeing for the very first time, when your mind was thinking for the very first time. You felt like you had one foot in heaven already, didn't you? And when you feel that way all over again, you, you have a fresh wind behind your sails that says, I'm going to persevere all the way to Jerusalem because this gospel is worth persevering for. It's worth taking beatings for. It's worth getting imprisoned for. It's worth being afflicted for. I remember what it was like for me. And I want to see that come to fruition in the lives of others. Lastly, share it. Remember your need for it. Remember when you received it. And lastly, share the gospel of the grace of God. Because the best way to grow in your love for the gospel of the grace of God is to remember it. And when you share it with yourself 
and others. Your heart says all over again, I do believe this gospel of grace. And it is the most wonderful thing in the world. And it is worth being afflicted for and imprisoned for. I told you before about the pastor who was writing a book on fighting for joy. And he asked his dad, who was dying and was on his deathbed, who spent all of his life as an evangelist, Dad, how would you counsel Christians to fight for joy in their lives? And he said, in a heartbeat, tell them to share their faith. Because when we share it, it's real to us all over again. And that's what we need if we are going to be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, even amid fiery trials. Amen. 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 Well, why don't we come?